Today we're continuing our series on the letter of James. And, um, you know, when you teach your way through a book or through a letter, uh, it's, uh, it's both, uh, advantageous because I don't have to wonder what I'm going to teach on next. I'll just look at the passage. Uh, but it's also, it's, uh, you, it requires a far more study and research and prayer, uh, than topical. And I'm not opposed to topical teaching at all. I think it's valuable to teach topical, but I think it's extremely valuable to teach through the scriptures. There are some churches who just start at Genesis 1-1, and they teach all the way through the Bible verse by verse. I have no opposition to that. I don't think I could do that, but I have no problem with that. But we've chosen in this season to go through the letter of James. We obviously are not uh, being totally didactic with every verse. But we are trying to find the spirit and the, and the, 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 what James was after as he wrote this letter to these folks. Today we're, we're going to be in a moment in James 2, starting at verse 14. Obviously I've entitled today, Is Your Faith Useless? And I could say, answer yes or no and we'll dismiss. <laughs> Is your faith useless? The, the, uh, Totality of this passage, and we'll be reading from 14 through the end of the chapter, is summed up in, in what we'll read very early on in our text, and that is, if someone says. A lot of what we're going to deal with today is hinges on those three words, if someone says. And James is dealing with that in that way. We'll also deal with the idea, is it faith or is it works? Some some uh, have wrongly, I think, proposed that James and the Apostle Paul were in opposition to one another, and that that uh, they stated two different principles in two different matters. And I want to show you today, I think, from the Scripture that that's not true, not true at all. And I said last week that, uh, you know, Martin Luther had a little problem with this passage, this particular passage we're going to study today. And, uh, he never said that he didn't believe it should be in the scripture. He did kind of infer. And, you know, Martin Luther was not perfect. If you read his biography, you'll find out he's not the perfect guy that a lot of people think he is. Uh, that's why I don't have a biography <laughs> about me. But I think we'll see as we go through this, and, and of course, I'm going to give us a conclusionary statement about that. That there, there's no, there's no competition, there's no wrangling, there's no disagreement, in my opinion, between Paul and James. And we're going to finish with two real examples of this and how that, how that fleshed out in their lives. So if you haven't turned already, turn to our text, James 2, 14 through 26. And if you wouldn't mind standing while we read the scripture, and I am once again reading from the English Standard Version. What good is it, my brothers? I'll come back to that. If someone says he has faith, someone says, everybody say someone says. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that, or believe, and shudder, or some versions say tremble. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, James doesn't mess around, does he? Anyway, just thought, that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the work from works is dead. You can be seated. You can see why Luther would have difficulty with this passage. If someone says, we call this no evidence of faith. And I don't, I, I really tried to ascertain why James would have been addressing this with these folks. Um, I couldn't determine anything particular in the text or even in historically that would, but it's some, but for some reason he begins this section. Of course, there were no chapters and verses when he wrote it, but this section, um, with the, if someone says, You've heard me say many times, one of my deepest concerns in the body of Christ or in churchdom more than the body of Christ are people that I call professing Christians. By that I mean someone who said, there are a lot of people in churchdom today who say they're Christians. At the end of the day, has there really been a heart change? Has there really been a, a, an exchange with supernaturally with God the Father through the Holy Spirit? Or, or are they just professing? And James is addressing this idea of just being a professing Christian. And he says if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Some of us are familiar with Aesop's fables. Uh, this is not a fable. One of the quotes from him, supposedly, is, After all is said and done, more is said than done. After all is said and done, more is said than done. And that goes in all walks of life and in... Uh, uh, I'm not going I'm not going to go where my brain just went. But he said... If someone says he has faith but no works, can that faith save him? And watch these two words, that faith. He didn't say, can faith save him? He said, can, can that kind of faith save that person? 
And he's indicating and inferring and really just saying that unless there's some, some, uh, something that follows you and I as Christians in various forms, behavior, activities, then maybe we don't have saving faith. Maybe we just have that faith, which really is not even a faith at all. He said, what good is it? What good is it? And of course, when you look up the word good in the scripture, you you, you know, like Sean won't know that never. Well, the word good, it means, it means beneficial, that which benefits. So what benefit is that is what he's saying. What does it benefit if someone just says, hey, I, I, I got faith. And he said, well, without evidence of that faith, then, then your faith is dead. And, you know, you can look up that word all day long, and it just means, as Jerry Clower used to say, graveyard, dead. Dead. Lifeless. So we have to talk for a few minutes about works. And, and it, you know, I should have put Titus 3.5 in here, but at least to reemphasize that we do not, James did not, the scripture does not teach that we are saved according to our works. As a matter of fact, if you'll indulge me, and if you're a note taker, write down Titus 3.5. I'm, I'm going to read that just to make sure uh, that no one leaves here with a misconception. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we are not, no matter what, if you, if you feel confused about this, you just read Titus 3, 5, and I believe that 110%. James would have believed that if he could have read it, that we are not saved according to or by our works. So we're not talking about that. But you cannot talk about the topic of works without at least taking a look at Ephesians 2.10, which says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, prior to this, in Ephesians 2, he says we are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should brag or boast. But too often we read that passage and we forget to get down to verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul, which is why I say they're not in opposition. He says, and by the way, you are God's, which is workmanship. There's really a word that means you are God's work of art. You are God's artisanship. And he created you and he created me for good works. Now, I'll come back to this, but we're not just talking about social activities when we talk about good works. But I'll, as I said, I'll come back. Again, the Apostle Paul in Colossians talks about bearing fruit in every good work, every work that benefits, bearing fruit in every good work. And just a little while later to the same church, he says, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. What qualifies 
as good works. Whatever you do, work heartily. Work with all you've got. Whatever you do, give it, whether vocation, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I said in the, I think in the midweek video, uh, it, it, you don't have to be quoting Bible verses all the time. Go to work. Be a good employee. Be dependable. Be faithful. Be diligent. That's as kingdom as it gets. And that's good works. Whatever you do, work heartily. Jesus talked about works. He said, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. We know that Jesus was not saved according to his works because, first of all, Jesus did not need to be saved. And yet he applied himself to the works that the Father had given him to do, the mission the task, the assignment. And then he brings you and me into that. He says, I do the works. And then he brings us into it when he says, we, everybody say we. We We must work the works of him who sent me. We. Jesus did not have a mouse in his pocket. He probably didn't have a pocket. He He said, we, you, me, the disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me. There, There is an element of our faith that must exhibit itself in works. Again, I'm going to come back to that, but don't just think of social activity or social things, and that obviously is included. We've read some from the Apostle Paul, but here's two more. He said, those who have believed in God may be careful. He's writing to Timothy or to Titus to devote themselves to good works. He's given instruction through Titus to the church. Tell them that those who have believed may devote themselves to good works. Just a few verses later, he repeats himself, which makes me think he meant something. And let our people learn. By the way, you are, quotations, our people. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Application. You can't just sit in a chair or a pew and say, I believe, if you're not going to devote yourself to whatever application that leads to. That's not saving faith. And then, of course, one verse about God the Father, if it is God who works in you, both to will or to cause us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, we're not saved according to our works. You've heard me say that today. We are not Christians because we do good works. We do good works because we're Christians. Probably could say that and dismiss. That's really what James was trying to say. What are good works? Now, there could be a long list here, but I just want to give us three things that I've identified that I think will help us to understand what are good works. What are we looking for? first one is very simple, very clear, and that that which pleases God. That which pleases. As a matter of fact, someone took the words good works and said, remove one of the zeros in good. One of the O's, not a zero. God works are the works of God. Whatever pleases God, those are good works. 
The second one, and I've alluded to earlier, and it's that which benefits others. If you're applying yourself to what we call good works, then whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, whatever you're, you're giving your energy to, it's going to be for the benefit of other people. And that, that is defined as good works. And, of course, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called, first and foremost, to give ourselves to that which benefits other brothers and sisters. And then, finally, all that might be distinctive about the follower of Jesus Christ, all that would separate us, all that would, would cause us to be different. And I'm not talking about the length of your hair, the kind of clothes you wear. I'm talking about our personality and our character. All that would be distinctive about the follower of Jesus Christ can be translated as good works, giving ourselves to that. So then we, if we're going to talk about works, now we have to talk about faith and works. And James takes on this imaginary conversation Someone will say, we don't know who someone is. Some have speculated that it was was not a real person. You have faith and I have works. You have faith and I have works. And James, of course, is addressing this whole idea. And, and this is what we're trying to say. Saving faith is that which produces an obedient life. Saving, true saving faith produces a life that is willing to be obedient to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll go to church every Sunday morning. That's not what he said. If you love me, you won't say bad words anymore. Well, that ain't, he didn't, well, he might have said, I don't know. But what he did say was, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll be obedient. And I've always used the example of, you know, uh, we have a we have a pontoon boat sitting over on Cumberland Lake at Miss Francis's daughter's house, and sometimes we get in that thing and ride out on on uh, the river, Cumberland River, or Old Hickory Lake. And when I hit that when I hit that throttle, take off down through the the river, I turn around, and there's this wake following that boat. And I have spent hours trying to figure out how to get that boat to go through the water without leaving a wake. And if you figure it out, would you let me know? Because it can't be done. In the same way, it cannot be done that a true follower of Jesus Christ, true, everybody say true, true. lives their life without a wake of good works behind them. It's going to be there. If a true follower of Jesus Christ turns around and there's no wake, then you got to take the word true out. Saving faith produces an obedient life. James is really trying to hammer home here that intellectual assent. Even to a creed, there's a lot of good creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, but intellectual assent, even to a creed, is not saving faith. Just saying, hey, I, I agree with that statement, or I agree with those words. And that's good. Maybe that'll keep you out of trouble, but that's not saving faith. 
It has to be a heart thing. And that's what we get down to with this whole topic. And that is without a personal connection to Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, we cannot have saving faith. But the reverse of that, don't forget, is that all of us have the opportunity, and I'd say most, if not all of us in this room, and hopefully watching at home or wherever you're watching, have entered into that place that we have we have developed and entered into this relationship through the Spirit with Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have a saving faith that brings us to obedience. He said, you know, you believe, that's a great thing that you believe, but let me let you know, the demons believe too. So just saying, I believe, that's not, that's not enough. It's like the guy was getting baptized and the guy was holding him under the water and he come up and said, do you believe? And he said, yeah. And he put him back under the water and he came back up and said, do you believe? And what the third time he came up, he said, do you believe? He said, yeah, I believe you're trying to drown me. <laughs> Just believing's not enough. Just knowing about Jesus Christ is not enough. You got to know him. And the good news is you can know him. He's not hiding. He's not, he's not trying to keep you away. He's not trying to keep you at arm's length. He's welcoming you. And of course, our title comes from when James addresses this in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Is your faith useless? I obviously pray that everybody can answer no. Is your faith useless? And then he gives us these two examples, Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, it says and it uses the word justified by works. And that just throws, throws us for a loop and all Reformation theology for a loop. But he's not talking about the justification of removing our sin or getting us aligned with God. And he gives, he gives this great example. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6, where Abraham believed God. There was, he, he did not come to God based on his works. They were, he was entering into covenant with God in that moment. And he believed God. Galatians repeats this verse. And it was credited to him as righteous. So at that point, Abraham believes God. He's credited in God's sight as being a righteous man. No works necessary. But then you fast forward to Genesis 22 when God says, take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham does. And James says... Was not Abraham, our father, justified by his works when he offered up his son? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by works. He believed in, in Genesis fifteen six. He fulfilled that belief in Genesis 22 when he was obedient to the father. 
And James is saying, we see in Genesis 22, we see Abraham up the mountain with Isaac. We see him fulfilling what happened in Genesis 15 when it was credited to him as righteousness. The New King James Version there says, faith was working together with his works. Faith was working together with his works. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible Word Wealth says this, there is a practical harmony or synergism between vertical faith in God and horizontal works to a needy world. Faith is both spiritual and practical. He did use the example early on in our text of someone who needed some food, needed some clothing, and you say to be warmed and filled. Uh, and that's how I feel when I watch uh, these uh, these programs about children wherever, on the other side of the world, and this cameraman's up in their face showing their ribs. I'm thinking, why don't you give them a sandwich and quit filming them? When I was in the hospital, uh, you know, hospital TV viewing is very limited. The fact is, TV viewing is very limited. And all you animal lovers, don't get mad at me. That has, this has nothing to do with that. But this, the come on with these eight-minute commercial with all these dogs in cages looking sad, looking like they're ready for a needle. And I'm thinking, for one thing, that's all staged. It just makes, I mean, of course, when you're sitting in the hospital and you got the TV on, you see it 15 times a day. And I'm going, first First of all, y'all have staged this thing. You didn't go find these dogs looking so sad. A couple of them look pretty healthy. And the second thing, put the camera down and give them something to eat. Well, that's my own little soapbox. James is saying, if you see somebody that has a need, don't, don't say, I'll pray for you. Oh, me. I'll pray for you, brother. Well, that's all well and good, but you think you could spare a 20 or something? You know, a lot of the missions organizations that minister in other parts of the world, I mean, right across the Rio Grande in in Mexico, they'll tell you real quick, you're wasting your time trying to minister the gospel to these folks. If their belly is empty, their growling of their stomach will drown out the gospel. So feed them and then preach them the gospel. Works. Well, then he talks about Rahab. We're going to, this is real brief. Of course, Rahab was the harlot that helped the spies. Hebrews actually talks about her. You would think these first five words ought not even go together. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute. You know I didn't write that. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She protected them. 
She hid them. And if you go over to the genealogy of Jesus, you'll find out she's one of his ancestors. She's in his lineage just before Ruth the Moabitess. So we have a prostitute and a Moabitess in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? And doesn't he have a sense of humor? By faith, it says. She protected the spies. It was faith resulting in action regarding the spies. The action is not what saved her. Her faith saved her. But the action was was an indication of her faith. If there's no corresponding action, there's most likely no faith. There's religion. There's churchianity. But there's not faith. And of course, our text says in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Once again, faith, then the works following. And this is, I think, the lesson that we're getting from James And also, we see there really is, in my opinion, no contradiction between Paul and James and their approach. And uh, we got this statement that will help us with that. Paul emphasizes that faith is not religious deeds without a born-again heart. And James stresses that faith is not a born-again heart without deeds. Not because you have to feel guilty about doing deeds, but if you're really born again, you're naturally going to do deeds. You're naturally going to be given to being beneficial to other people. You're naturally going to give yourself to applying God's work. We used to sing the old song in the Baptist church, work for the night is coming. You'll do that. You won't have to be told to do it. Because, in closing, real faith manifests in real works. And this is the message, I think, that James is trying to communicate to these folks he's writing to and to us sitting here today and those watching via Facebook or YouTube. Amen? Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that our eyes have been opened and our spirits have been receptive and that we've heard your voice. I pray that we have seen the intention of James and the Holy Spirit as he anointed and and gave him this to write down. I pray that we see what you were after and what you are after in our lives. Our faith, Lord Jesus, we pray, will naturally naturally lead to what we would define as good works. Not for the sake of developing a righteousness, because we recognize that Abraham had already had his righteousness before he did the good work, but so that we could be those people who are going out into this society, into this world, doing the works of the Father, just like your son Jesus. Anoint each one of us to do that. And give us opportunity. Give us openings. Give us divine appointments 
with those that you have ordered. Most of all, let us be those people who introduce the qualities and the character of your kingdom to those who are encumbered by a kingdom of darkness. May we bring hope where there's hopelessness. May we bring peace where there's turmoil. May we bring love where there's hate and misgivings. May it be so as we exercise the good works that you created us for and called us to walk in. Thank you for this time today. Thank you for the word of God. I pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Be dismissed. Thank you, Buck.